I really believe that everyone goes about parenting wanting to be better than parents than their parents. Not everyone can achieve it. Um, I, who knows what my kids are going to say about me in hindsight when they grow up. I'm hoping it will be positive. Um, going back just to, you know, when I'm speaking about my father, I'm going to also just explain. My father, even though I don't have a relationship with him, I don't think of my father as a bad man. I think of my father as his idea of manhood and masculinity and what he wanted me to become. The fact that I couldn't become that caused a conflict because that wasn't the man that I wanted to become. It caused conflict. And I don't really want to say that makes him a bad man. It just wasn't the man I wanted to be with. And I grew up in a very similar situation as you. My mother, my abuela my aunt, my aunt from my father's side I was very close to, my father's brother is gay and he's always been a father figure to me since I was younger. So it it always caused a little confusion for myself growing up as well because I played on the baseball team, I played football, I also played chess, I also sang four years of concert choir, I was also a poet and a writer. So some of the things I would think about would come from the woman element of my upbringing so it, I would think about you know how is this gonna make a woman feel in my decisions because I had such a respect for the women in my life I wouldn't think about the man element I was thinking about how my actions affected women so that sometimes made me think about things so deep it would make me wonder like I love women but is this straight is like you know and I had such a close relationship with my uncle that you know we used to watch I was watching independent movies in Union Square that none of my friends would watch I was watching movies with openly homosexual lead characters and totally into it we would have these conversations and I, I would be free to be like oh yeah he's a he's a great-looking guy and I never thought about it I ne- it never crossed my mind you know it never crossed my mind but that was my upbringing like my father was the mold of macho, masculinity, good-looking, had it all. And then my uncle was this homosexual man that I looked up to who was teaching me values that my father couldn't. And it wasn't so much that my father was a bad man. It was just you get to a certain age that you decide the man you want to be. And it sometimes doesn't coincide with what the man you look up to is teaching you. That's very well put. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, we do see a lot of that in this movie, too. Uh, literally, we talked about with uh, Faramir, Boromir, and their father. Who's that guy again, Ty? Denethor. Deneth- he doesn't have a name that rhymes with those two. What I name? know. You know, you know what's interesting? <laughs> what, I was watching Fellowship of the Ring with my girlfriend, and her favorite character is Boromir, which I always thought was interesting. Um, but 
you know, there's a, there's a scene where Boromir is playing with Merry and Pippin. They're like, uh, he's teaching them how to fight with the oh, sword, right? Yeah. They're like laughing, they're joking, and, you know, they're rolling around on the, on the ground. Even Aragorn kind of gets involved, even though he's like a little bit more stiff and stuff, and they're all having a good time. You know, and, and you know, eventually Boromir does succumb to the ring, and he tries to take it from Frodo. But in the end, he does... He does go to save Merry and Pippin. He he protects them from the orcs. He dies saving them, um, and kind of like redeems himself in in, in a way, you know. And, and at that point, he's able to kind of admit to Aragorn, like, "Oh, you were my brother, my captain, my king." You know, these very affectionate terms. Um, you know, my girlfriend said is she's like, he's kind of like their father, the Merry and Pippin. And I'm like, well, they're not actually children. And she's like, yeah, but like, she's <laughs> like. The relationship they, they have. Are, they present as very childish. Yeah, and she's like, she's like, he, he's acting like their father, protecting them, you know? And it's almost like, you know, his father didn't try to protect him, and, and maybe he wasn't always able to protect Faramir, but he's able to protect them. So maybe not a father, but even like an older brother. And I think, you know, I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. And, and you know, obviously, he, you know, that's his final act is, is to protect them. I never really thought about that, but, but yeah, he, in just like, the short amount of screen time he has has this, has this redemption arc, uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about redemption arcs later. I want to get your guys' opinions on those. Uh, but what you just brought up, Ty, really spoke to me because, I mean, you've always known me as a friend, but you also know that I haven't always been the best man. Like, I've made a lot of terrible choices. I spoke about it somewhat in episode 10 of the podcast, uh, The Psychology of Batman, but you know, because of the way that I was raised, uh, I was raised mostly by a single father and he never had any women friends. He just had women whom he had sex with. And that's how I interacted with women growing up. Like I would never be friends with a woman unless I had plans on being romantic with her in some way, shape or form. And even throughout the the relationships I did have, I, I was a serial cheater. I would never say that I was sorry. You know, there there's just a lot of really terrible behavior I had. And I know now that, you know, my, my, uh, my ex-girlfriend, she reached out to me when she found out that my mother had passed. And I took that moment to apologize to her because... And I didn't apologize and say, oh, I'm sorry, but, or this is the reason I did those things. I came out straight forward and I said, I'm sorry that I was manipulative. I was abusive and I wasn't physically abusive, but, you know, sometimes those emotional scars, they stick with you even worse. You know what I mean? Um, those are the bruises that don't heal as quick. They, never do. they really don't. And I know that just like how my father now, he may be like he has a new girlfriend and stuff and she may love him and all this other stuff. And he has a couple of friends whom he hangs out with. Uh, they see him as a good guy, but he'll always be a monster to me. And just how, you know, you guys know me, you know, Frankie, you know, the person I am now. You know, I met you through my fiance because you both play softball together. But I know that two my ex-girlfriend, I will always be that that person who manipulated her and and used her and would never apologize for anything. And, you know, just like Boromir to Frodo, he'll always be the guy who tried to take the ring from him and tried to kill him. Yep. But to Marion Pippin, he, you know, he's a hero. Like you the point is you can come back. Yes. You know, no matter what you've done. I don't want to say no matter what you've done, 
fuck you brock turner you know what i yeah, mean like, yeah. you know yep. but you know but you can still be the not best person and come back i mean if you've watched anything with nuance you know if you've watched uh, game of thrones you see bad people do good things good people do bad things you know there there's so there's the hound there's jamie lannister there's a bunch of characters and in lord of the rings it's boromir who would later play ned stark in lord of the rings but um you know he he's able to die a hero He's able to come back. And I think no matter what choices we've made in life, uh, you know, hopefully we can just try and learn and grow and do our best to die a hero. It's funny you say that. I mean, I think we all we, we all have alternative redemption stories. I think, um, like, I, I gave you a little bit of backstory to my father, me saying he's not a bad man. He's I have a younger sister that he's been a great father to. He's oh. married, you know, he's married, you know, to a woman that – you know, adores him. That's why I'm saying that the fact that he wasn't the father I needed doesn't make him a bad man. It just his growth took patience that it was too long for me. I already outgrew the time he needed to become who he needed to become. But we are all okay. allowed redemption stories, you know. And I think good or bad is really it's perspective. I mean, you're a big Batman fan, and I know a lot. Of, I've had this argument with a lot of people who will literally feel that the Joker and Batman could both be the hero villain if a few things would have changed in both their stories. And there's people that idol there's people that idolize the Joker. They just may not be people that we look at as good people, but they idolize them. I mean and I think it's perspective, good and bad. And yeah, we're allowed redemption stories. So the fact that you were able to apologize and the butt is the butt is always like the most toxic end of a sentence the i'm i'm sorry but I, it once you i hear but i'm totally disengaged in the conversation i shut off i've heard so i mean it's especially recently with everything our world's going through i've heard so many yeah i believe in equality and i believe that we should all be treated equal but and i'm like all right i'll talk to you later conversation's done once the but comes <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's not authentic anymore. The butt ruins everything. Oh yeah, it, it's true. I mean, I had a I have a cousin that I'm not very close with who said I had made a post regarding like you know Black Lives Matter and and, and just everything going on. And he was like, Hey, I saw your post. Very well said. And what happened to George Floyd was horrific. But not only does Black Lives Matter, but all lives matter. Yeah, so right. everything that came before that didn't matter. You know, he didn't he didn't really mean a word of it. It was everything after that butt that that he wanted me to know you know and it's like right there you're right like every, you know if you say but then it's over like i, I don't I, i'm not gonna yeah. listen to what you have to they say they want to keep your interests in the conversation and then throw their bias into it that's what the but is it's like a placeholder like oh yeah i want to keep you engaged yeah, yeah i understand how you feel but i really don't here's the but now listen to me yep. same genre different show uh ned stark says that in game of thrones right he says anything said before the word "but" is complete bullshit, or he says something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more or less. All right. So, do you want to go through like the plots of the next two movies, Ty? Because we're just gonna keep jumping around between all of them. Yeah, I mean, so we really haven't discussed the plot much of the Fellowship of the Ring, but no, no, we really, you know, yeah, more just, or less, we've just been jumping around, which which is fine. I actually prefer. Yeah, that. yeah. Listen, that's guys, cool. um, you gotta they gotta fucking get a ring to a volcano, and there's peril along the way. That's there's yeah. magic. Well, you know, the, at the end of the film, like we said, Boromir dies, and the Fellowship is broken. I think Frodo takes responsibility for Gandalf's death. 
So he decides no one else is going to die for him, and he's going to leave on his own. But, uh, you know, Frankie mentioned earlier that Samwise, you know, refuses to let him go on his own, and, and he, he, you know, he jumps into the water, even though he can't swim, and he follows him. And, uh, you know, so he's the only member of the party that, that winds up accompanying Frodo as they make their way to Mount Doom. Um, meanwhile, Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas, who are, you know, an elf and a dwarf who hate each other, decide to unite to go save Merry and Pippin. So, you know, we pick up on the two towers, um, and uh, the, the plot for that is, while well, Frodo and Sam edge closer to Mordor with the help of the shifty Gollum, the divided fellowship makes a stand against Sauron's new ally, Saruman, and its hordes of Isengard. So it, this is a, like an interesting film in the regard that, you know, in the first one, everyone's together, the, like for the most part, the whole time. You know, it's about the forming of the fellowship and, you know, Frodo's companions protecting him. But now everybody's got like their own little corner of the universe and, and they're all kind of doing their own thing. Um, and we get to, to see some more of the world of Middle Earth. We, we flesh out, uh, you know, some of the lands and some of the people here. And we get to meet a lot more of the human characters. Uh, you know, we, we get to go to Rohan, the Horse Lords. We get to see a little bit more of Gondor. Um, so, we, you know, we, they kind of flesh out these, these men characters and, and who they are. Yeah, what happens in Return of the King? Let's just get that, too. Uh, <laughs> so that we can we get the plots out of the way, and then we'll just discuss. We'll jump around as much as we feel like. I like where this is going. I like how we're talking. Yeah, and the Return of the King, uh, Gandalf and Aragorn lead the world of men against Sar- Sauron's army to draw his gaze from Frodo and Sam as they approach Mount Doom with the One Ring. Cool. Uh, and then there's seven happy endings at the end of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> if you consider them happy. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I did note that in Fellowship, Aragorn, once again, we know he's soft-spoken. The only scream he has in Fellowship it comes from the actor, not the character. It's when he kicks a helmet but realizes that helmet was actually metal, right? Yeah, he broke his toe on it. <laughs> yeah, he broke his toe and he screams about that. Um, oh, wait, no, that wasn't – that was two that towers. That was two towers, yeah. Right? That was two towers. That was two towers. Um Kudos to Peter he does Max yell at one other point too when when Legolas tells him he's going to die for nothing protecting these people that aren't his own at Rohan, uh, and he says, "Then I shall die as one of them," you know, because yes. uh, after the death of Boromir, I think Aragorn started to like realize, you know, he is a man at the end of the day, and you know, even though he's been living with elves and he's friends with a wizard and he has like you know all these cool adventures, you know, along, along the world at the end of the day, these are his people. Um, and, and, you know, it is kind of his duty to protect them and to, you know, give them hope when all seems lost. And I also noticed that later on in the battle, when he's commanding people, he's yelling then because obviously he has to. And this kind of goes into the idea of if you're the kind of person who's yelling all the time, nobody's going to fucking listen to you because your default is to yell. But if you're the kind of person who's soft-spoken, those loud moments, they mean a lot more. They definitely do. Every, everyone, you know, when Aragorn when Aragorn raises his voice, people listen. Yeah, because he wouldn't raise it otherwise. And I, I really like that. You know, once again, he's, he's just very sure of who he is. Well, as, as a man and as a warrior. As a ruler and all that other stuff we get into a little bit later. You yeah. know, but... Uh, but I do like that. You know, if you're always boasting or whatever, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna listen to a word you say. Um, and I like I do feel that anger 
I don't think it's a bad emotion. I don't think there's any such thing as a bad emotion. I mean, in the movie, um, what's that Disney movie with the emotions? Oh, uh, um, emotions. Inside Out. Inside Out. Yes. Like in Inside Out, we find out that every emotion has a place, and you know, it, it's no exception in our, in our in our actual lives. You know, some things we can react to with anger, but I find that at least in my life, anger is disguised by a lot of other stuff. Normally, it's disguised by an insecurity. If it's something as small as not being able to find an object that I could that I I know where I put it and I can't find it, I get angry because I'm insecure about about something else, some sort of inadequacy I have. And, um, you know, we, we see that a lot in, in this, too, whenever people are yelling at each other. We see in the two towers, Frodo snaps at Sam at one point and then apologizes right after. Great move. Uh, that was a weird sound I just made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, <clears throat> and we also see that... S- Sam has a couple of moments too, like when he's uh, when he's calling Gollum names. I thought that that was interesting. And Frodo's like, "Oh, why are you putting him down all the time and stuff like that?" Uh, do you think that comes from a place of Sam being insecure or or what? I know that with my own experience, I've only teased other people when I felt like I had to gain the approval of others. Well, Sa- you know, I, I'm not really that person. What about S- Sam? Sam's insecure about his friendship with Frodo. You know, like. He, that's his best friend. He's willing to die for him. And then, you know, when Gollum shows up, Frodo starts listening to There's him. There's a lot more relevant than we. Yeah, right. <laughs> <realize>. <laughs> Gollum starts, you know, he starts listening to Gollum. He starts forming a bond with Gollum. And it almost feels like Sam's kind of not as important to him anymore, you know? And I, I think it makes him worried. You know, he, he's scared that his friend's going to get hurt. Um, but he's also scared that his place at his friend's side is not going to be the same. And, uh, you know, I, I think that so that's definitely an insecurity of Sam's that we de- we see through a lot of the two towers and through most of Return of the King. Yeah, it's the third wheel syndrome. There was definitely a hint of jealousy of it's just been you and me forming this bond. And here comes this third person that's kind of getting some of your attention and you're talking to and listening to. I think Sam's insecurity played a big part in it. Well, while that's brought up, let's just go into it. Is there a homoerotic nature to Frodo and Sam's friendship? Because that's kind of the the ongoing joke is that the two of them are gay. You know, they're always hugging and and you know uh, you know giving each other those those longing looks and everything. And even at the very end, Frodo seems kind of stoic as Sam has a family with a woman and you know goes off to 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 live a, a hetero life. You know, now that they're not constantly in danger anymore. Or is it just the fact that we're brought up to believe that men being physical with each other cannot be platonic? Like, what, you know, what do, what do, what do you guys think? Uh, uh, I'll, get, you want to jump in first? No, you go ahead. You go ahead. Um, that's, I mean, that's, you, you actually have me sitting back and now thinking. Um, I thought they were gay for the stay. Like, like in prison, you know, dudes will like, you know, be gay in order to survive. That's what I thought it was. Like, you know, Sam and Frodo are like, listen, we could die any time. Yeah, exactly. And then when they weren't dying, it was like, oh, well. I think, I think you actually, you're, you're making me like even evaluate maybe some of my like presumptions and my own pre-bias because I, I do have to wonder like, why would we just assume that this must be a gay or homosexual behavior for the fact that they could be as close as they were and love each other as much 
and want no romantic or physical activity between them. It, it, I mean, I, th- I think it's a great point because I think we're just we're trained to believe if they love each other that much, it must be something, you know, romantic. It can't just be a deep love between two men who just love each other that much. Um, yeah, I think it's. I mean, you got me. You got me stumped. <laughs> well, Mike, I know we. I think we've actually argued about this throughout the years. Uh, I think that you always took that stance that they were gay, and I and I was always like, no, they're just really good friends, Um, and I you know I never felt that they were gay for each other. You know, I don't know where Frodo stands. He never seems um, like he's you know attracted to any women or or, you know. Yeah, he doesn't have an interest. Yeah, you know, Samwise clearly is in love with uh, you know Rosie. Um, He even returns and marries her at the end of Return of the King. And, you know, he, he does talk about her from time to time. I always just thought it was an intense friendship. And, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think in, in some regards we had an intense friendship, right? Like, we, we, we shared a bed at one yeah. point. Um, you know, we lived together several times. Like, we were very, very close. So, like, I feel like I always was like, well, they're just really good friends. You know, I mean, they're, it's life or death. They've got each other's backs, and, and they're just trying to, to make it along. And I think they love each other. I just don't think they love each other romantically. I don't think there was enough, and I think Lord of the Rings is just a very male-dominant cast. I didn't. I don't think they really presented. Who are they supposed to love, goddamn? <laughs> There's only men in the, show in the movie. They didn't present many options for Frodo to like get a little, you know, side action on this journey. I think <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but I kind of think that was completely intentional. Like, you know, they wanted the movie to be about Frodo and this sole journey. Like, it wasn't. They didn't want any distraction with any, you know, any woman or anyone taking Frodo's attention away. It was him and the ring and this journey and everyone that came alongside had their own stories that kind of filled in the spaces. But when it came into Frodo, I felt like it was intentional for this to be his story and that's it. Like, there wasn't any distractions with females or anything, any of the distractions that can kind of sidetrack men. He didn't have it. He had this one mission, and that's what he had to do. They put the women characters in all the other side characters, you know. I Wait, Ty, are you saying that you didn't feel something between us? <laughs> we, we should talk about this off mic. We should talk about this off mic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Frankie, you bring up a good point about the women, um, but I, I do want to point out that – so there's two – really important female characters, you know, in, in, in the movies um, and in the books, uh, they're Arwen and Eowyn. And they're both kind of portrayed as love interests for Aragorn early on, you know. Um, Aragorn's in love with Arwen. His heart really belongs to her. But, you know, Elrond tells him to let her go, that, you know, he's going to take her beyond Middle-earth somewhere safe because she shouldn't be with a human, you know. Otherwise, her life force will just give out where she can live, you know, forever if she moves on with her people. You know, so Eowyn um, from Rohan is a very strong character. She's a very strong woman who wants to be a warrior. She doesn't want to just stay at home and, and, you know, watch over the house and cook. She wants to fight. She wants to get a sword and go into battle. Um, They shut her down constantly uh, until she takes it upon herself in Return of the King. Um, But, you know, again, these are two very strong women because, you know, Eowyn... She she starts off as just a love interest for Aragorn, you know, and he does eventually shun her because his heart belongs to to Arwen. But she she doesn't just you know mope around. She she goes to war, 
she she you know she goes into battle at at the Battle of Pelennor Fields uh, as Minas Tirith is under siege, the greatest battle that any of them will will ever live to see. You know where the, where the hopes of of all races live. You know at this point, and if they lose, then it's over. Um, and she goes you know head first, you know with Mary, and, and she takes on the the, the Witch King, um, who who's you know Sauron's right hand, his greatest warrior. And you know in the movie he, he's like you know I I can be you know no man can kill me. And she takes off her helmet and says I am no man, and she kills him. Love she's it. Like, you know it's in it. Yeah. It, there was always like a very powerful moment. Um, you know and she's the of one course, that slays yeah. him. Uh, and and Arwen also you know. She's not in it a whole lot, but she's the driving force for Aragorn in a lot of ways. You know, whenever he's down and, and he's injured and he's out, you know, he thinks of her. He remembers her. You know, when he, he's thrown off the cliffs in the two towers, you know, he's he's laying in the water and, and his horse is trying to nudge him awake. And he remembers Arwen and he finally gets up, you know, uh, like she's his inspiration, much like Tolkien's inspiration for getting home was, was you know, his fiance. Um, so, you know, th- even though they're not a lot of female characters, I do think they're very, very important and very strong. I completely agree. And I think that that love is what it shows. That love is what makes him so much of a better man throughout the whole movie. Like, you can just tell that love transforms him into a, a completely different man. Maybe it's my own experience. You know, my girlfriend is Hispanic. You know, I, I'm, I'm a white male who, who was very ignorant for most of my life and you know having dated her i've learned a lot about other people and other cultures and and, you know uh about white supremacy and 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 those kind of things and you know in a way it's like maybe aragorn's experiences with arwen is what kind of like helped him understand elves and and other races more and make him so open to being able to you know befriend anybody and and help them and be such Mm -hmm. a leader to to everyone that's well put. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. That's that's really well put. And I also like how Arwen has that one moment in Fellowship of the Ring where Aragorn's trying to uh, get Frodo to, is it Rivendell? Uh, when he's Strider, yeah. Yeah, he's trying to get him to Rivendell. Okay, yeah, so he's trying to get Frodo to Rivendell so that way they can heal him after he, uh, he takes that sword to the chest. Um, and Arwen's like, let me ride. I'm the faster rider. And Aragorn has this moment where... I think he knows that she is, but he's worried about her safety and he kind of has to put his ego in check and, and be like, listen, like, you know, I have to have to trust her. And I think we, you know, we're confronted with that a lot in real life as well. Like my fiance, she, you know, a couple times, you know, just joking and talking around. She's been like, oh, well, you need to sleep on this side of the bed. You need to protect me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you got to protect me, too. Like, you know, we're we're equal in this, you know? Um, I tell my girlfriend you know, she's protecting again, me all that, the time. That, I'm afraid of ghosts and stuff. She's always like, ah, all right, I'll take care of it. <laughs> there you go. And she is a professional exorcist, yes, as we know. Is. Um, with the <laughs> with the seances. With the seances. <laughs> Listen to the – what episode was that with the seances? Uh, Where did that come from? I think it was just our 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 conversation about that the world, our, you know? Our, I was okay. Yeah, that was our housekeeping yeah. podcast. Oh my uh, god. Yes, a note um, about Arwen though that didn't happen in the book. That was actually a choice by the screenwriters and Peter Jackson. Wow. Yeah. Well, it was a that? male elf who got him to Rivendell. Of course it was. Uh, no, but that. Uh, I mean that that's something I've experienced in my real life, and I think that just comes from once again the the most powerful woman physically that I've ever known was my martial arts instructor. You know, she could lay you out in two seconds flat, like. You know, I I never really had it in my mind that 
you know, women are meant to be defended or can't do the same amount of work or anything like that because I've I've been raised by, you know, by women like her. And, you know, my ex-girlfriend, I met her at the martial arts school. I was on her black belt test, like, you know, as bad of a boyfriend as I was, even if I wanted to be physically abusive, I'm pretty sure she could kick my fucking she ass. Definitely so, your ass. You know. <laughs> um but yeah, I, you know, I want to take it back. You you know, you're right. Like you and I did have a a similar friendship to Frodo and Sam. Like I remember you know, we, we were always into video games and stuff. And like you and I were playing on the PSP and we would legit sit shoulder to shoulder with each other and just be like in such close quarters. And, you know, at no point was, you know, did it even cross our minds, you know, that it was that it was anything more than than a really close platonic friendship. It's just, you know, it's society that has the problem. I mean, I know, you know, your mom would come uh, by. Yeah, and, I was going to say that, you know. Yeah, I'm not gonna say what she would say, but she, you know, she would, you know, you know, tease us and stuff for being so like physically close to each other all the time. Yep, all the time. Uh, <laughs> she did to um, us what you did to Frodo and Sam. <laughs> exactly. So I have a question: Which one of you would be Sam, and which one would be Frodo? Ooh. If you had to look back at it, that's a great question. I think we trade roles. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Personal, like on and off, because when one of us needs to be the Frodo, the other person is the Sam. Like, you know, I talk a lot about how the men in this series they build each other up, and um, you know, like recently, Tyler and I both made a short film, and it's been taking so long to get made. It didn't come out exactly the way we thought it would get made, and you know, Ty, if I can be so uh, transparent, you know, like you've been, you know, kind of down about that and you've been insecure and, Very. you know, you, you got your bachelor's in filmmaking. So this was like a big thing for you. And cause it hasn't turned out the way you thought it would, you've been really down on yourself. And the entire time I'm just like, like, Hey, don't talk about my friend that way. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. You shouldn't talk about yourself the way you wouldn't talk about your friend. That's a really good way to help bolster your self-esteem. But like, you know, a lot of it's been me trying to build you up and 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 encourage you and and help get you out of that rut and see see you as the creator I see you as. Very much so. Yeah, you know, you're uh, you're you're being Frodo for me. You know, tie the brave, and I'm like, I guess so. I guess so. You know, meanwhile, a lot of other times, like I've done everything. I've done professional wrestling. I've done stand-up comedy. I, you know, I draw, I'm an artist. I do voiceover. I've done acting. And like every step of the way you've like, you've been there to, su to support me and help encourage me and everything. Like at no point where, cause we've had friends who have been like, Oh, I'm going to be a writer now. I'm going to do this now, blah, blah, blah. And you've been like, they're not going to do that. But like at no point where you like, I don't think you can do that. I don't think you should do that. Yeah, no, you're right. Even with our comic most recently, you know, like I'm your. I hope you know I'm your biggest fan. I think I love your art, so I'm, I'm always telling you know, trying to push you and, and uh, you know, get you to to work on it. Cause I think it's so good, so talent, so so talented. Which I appreciate. And I actually just want to throw in our action figure games real quick, <laughs> Frankie. I don't know when the last time you played with action figure was, and I'm not going to mention uh, this morning. Okay, All perfect. Right. Oh, you have a kid. Right. You have an excuse. Okay, <laughs> you have an excuse. We we don't have kids. We. You know, I've always just loved action figures since we were kids into, you know, into our young adulthoods. And I'm going to be honest, I'd still play with them now if I had the time yep. and the resources. Same. Like, <laughs> uh, but it's always interesting how we did have a Frodo Sam story thrown in with all of our characters. Like all of Ty's characters would always have a love interest. Always. And mine never did. Ever. Right. 
my characters never had a love interest. And I'm not sure if it's because, like, in real life it was the opposite. Yeah. Like, I was always, like, you know, chasing, you know, chasing women and stuff like that. And you were, like, you know, you were more this the single guy for most no, of my life. You were the Frodo or the Sam? Yeah, yeah. You were, you were the, you know, you were the, I don't want to say the nice guy because, I mean, you are nice, but, like, it's not, like. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think reserved going back to the fathers and stuff, I had a lot of insecurities too. And that, that equated to dating women, you know, like I always had this feeling that people thought I was gay. I, I remember after I started dating um, my girlfriend now, she, you know, I said to her, I was like, did you think I was gay when we first met? And I don't know why, like, I don't know why I would have thought that, but I, it was like a serious question I asked her and she was like, no, I, I never did. And, you know, it was something I feel like that I always felt that way. Like, I, like women wouldn't look at me, the, you know, and, and find me attractive because they, th- they think I get, I was gay or, or wasn't manly enough for them. Yeah, that's a societal teaching as well, too, right? I think as teenagers and as young men, we, we, we judge with quantity over quality all the time. Like, how many women have you had? It's usually a question guys, are, you know, feel free to ask. Like, oh, how yep. many, you know, how many women you banged? Or how many, you know, you don't think about the quality, you think about the quantity. Like, it's a competition. Yeah, that's uh, exactly. I feel attacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mike already admitted that he was a little slutty, you know. All love to the sluts I out there. I got no no judgment. You know, no no slut shame and no slut shame. Just, you know, no, not, don't break hearts. Not here. <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, even my, like, I feel I wasn't comfortable with myself as a person or as a man. So I sought validation from my sexual exploits. Like that was how I got my value, you know, but, and like looking back on it, like there were so many moments, like I was texting girls or going out to meet girls that I wasn't even necessarily interested in. And I was leaving my friends behind to do it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like, I, I feel like I, there were times where I felt like Sam, where like, you know, we'd be trying to hang out, we'd be playing video games, and you were busy, you know, flirting with girls. And it was texting all these golems and shit. Yeah, and I was just like, come <laughs> on. And I think a little bit when I started dating my girlfriend, you know, you felt a little bit like that too. So, like, I think again, we've. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, I felt she took our my place in, in our friendship. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? Yeah, so, like, we've, we've, <laughs> we've definitely traded places in that regard. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I went through a, a brief period where I, I had some womanizing behavior, which I had to check myself on because I kind of went through something similar. Um, you know, kind of using drinking and over drinking as a crutch. Um, to some of the things that I couldn't pinpoint what I was feeling and I you know I don't know if you saw my post yesterday a lot of this book in Boneyard openly speaks about like I've never really had a conversation with my parents or anyone in my family about my anxiety or my depression or anything you know in that form because everyone is so used to seeing me as a I want to say not strength as in stature or like body build but strength as in someone you know being a poet and traveling, I'm usually speaking to large groups of people. I'm usually giving advice. I'm usually the helper instead of the helpee, if that makes sense. Like, I don't usually seek much counsel or much help with my feelings, but a lot of people come to me when they want to share their stuff. Um, and I've been more open with this book about talking about my anxiety and my depression uh, as a man and looking back and realizing how many you know, women I slept with or how many bottles I finished to try to prove something um, instead of just being able to, you know, understand what I was feeling. And when I didn't, you know, I would look to exploit, you know, women as like a conquest. Like if I was able to sleep with this one and this one, 
you know, it would it would kind of like shut out some of the things I was feeling inside. And I think a lot of that has to do with me not having, you know, my father to just call and, and have a talk with and a, not having that guide, you know, that wisdom to kind of just talk about it. But now I'm openly able to talk about depression and anxiety and some of the struggles that men go through that we don't even understand ourselves and letting people know that it's okay to feel a certain way and that we all go through it and you know insecurity it's only a burden if you allow it to be a burden and once you start to understand it you can make it a strength now going off of that is there anything from your manuscript that you wanted to read on the podcast or no did you have anything prepared Uh, listen it's up to you i have i have my I never leave without my Google Docs. <laughs> no, I would love for no, you to do that. Definitely, yeah. Bring bring something up, and uh, you know, I'd like to hear. I know Ty said he he would hate to hear it uh, earlier, but <laughs> not true, not true. Ty, <laughs> Ty's uh, Ty's family was murdered by poetry. Uh, they were so, um, the whole family. Uh, but yeah, if you ha- please bring it up. Yeah, yeah. You let me know when you want me to go, and I'll just roll with it. Anytime, like now. All right, here we. Go. Okay, as in, ladies and gentlemen, Frankie Soto. All right, so this poem, uh, I wrote this. This is, I believe, the third poem in my manuscript. I'm going to say Boneyard a lot because I like to throw in the name of the manuscript so it stays in your head. But um, this is something I've been pitching to publishers for the last eight months. A lot of rejection, um, but a lot of promise, a lot of hope. So here is, uh, this is First Kiss on 8-12, which is the day my son was born. Which, a really quick backstory before I get into the poem, my son was a cryptic birth, which means we had no idea that my fiance was pregnant for nine months. So my son came out of nowhere. I mean, out of nowhere, I mean, we didn't even have a diaper in place. We didn't know she was pregnant. She barely gained any weight. There was no signs. There was no, you know, you could take a pregnancy test and it would still come up negative. Um, it's a low blood hormone. So we went to the, <laughs> we played softball that day and she was the catcher on the team. And that evening, <laughs> I'm having a son. So let's just say that. All right, so this is first kiss on 812 from my son Ryder. Papa, masculinity will tell my lips not to press too tight, not to make you soft, not to let my soft rub off on you. Call this kind of affection a sickness, a contagious, a symptom, a signal that we aren't as strong as abuelos, abuelos once promised God, that we be that good stock, that farm with the good soil, leave the cry songs and roosters and our daughters' voices, talk to pistols before talking to each other, emotion is a grenade better swallowed, death more admirable than confession, toothless, burrowed, Buried in flesh and piles of the unsaid Until alive is a secret kept from ourselves Telling God this ground still grows here This dirt is just tired This crop isn't how it used to be I am not how it used to be You won't be told You won't be what we were told we could only be Papa Manning up will be your crying song It will be sung for the baritones who only knew deep voices instead of deep places. Old men still grimacing from bloody stomachs, from withdrawal they chewed down to bare bone and gums, who have never bared their soul in any place not filled with sweat and terror. Papa, 
Here, there will be no grenades left to be swallowed. Yes. Wow, yes. that was beautiful. That's me snapping. I can only snap with one hand at a time. That was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you so much for that. That was great. That was. I felt that. That was powerful. Thanks. I, I was hearing myself as I was doing it, and I'm sure you guys know doing this podcast. I, I I'm not a fan of hearing myself <laughs> after I do it. <laughs> You're kind of always like, "Damn, I sound like that." What's always, wrong with it's me? It's always like that. Well, thank you for sharing. That was great. Definitely. Thank you. Uh, even as a voice actor, I don't like hearing my own voice. Yeah. I mean, we don't like hearing your voice either, so it's fine. <laughs> but no, that, that was that was great. Thanks so much. And you know, there's so much of what we were talking about in that as well. What else do we have, Ty? Did you have anything else you wanted to cover in this? Um, me? Either of you? Did you have anything else in the movies that you that you wanted to discuss? Oh, uh, definitely. Um, I, I think you know I want to focus a little bit more on Aragorn again. You know, we've brought him up multiple times. You know, in, in The Return of the King, he finally decides to embrace his destiny. Um, and, you know, he takes up the sword that his ancestors had wielded. And it's given to him by Arwen's father, Elrond. You know, the man who told him to let go and let her move on. And he actually is the one that brings him his destiny. Uh, in order to Ar- for Aragorn to reclaim his throne and save his people, he needs to fulfill an oath that was broken by his ancestors. Um, you know, he needs to go and uh, basically encounter this army of the dead, these traitors. And, you know, he makes them a promise that if they fight for him, he will let them go. And they do. They do fight for him. They help him win this major battle. But there's still one more battle to come, you know. And instead of holding on to them and keeping them, he you know, he does keep his promise. He releases them, um, you know. And, and he decides that there, there's not going to be this epic army that goes with him to the gates of Mordor, it's going to be the remnants of the humans, some some Rohirrim, some Gondor, you know, Gondorian soldiers, his friends, Legolas and Gimli, Merry, Pippin, um, Gandalf, you know, and their goal is to buy Frodo and Sam some time, you know, and he gives this, this rousing speech, you know, about men, and he says, you know, there'll be a, a day when, you know, when men will, be, you know, neighbors will betray each other and friend will betray each other and, you know, we, you know, we won't stand together, but it's not this day. You know, this day we fight, you know, men of the West, you know, we're, we're united. And he gives this great speech and they all go and they go to the gates and, you know, they, they hold their own and they're able to buy the time for Frodo and Sam to destroy this ring. And when they come back, you know, Aragorn is is crowned the king and Arwen comes back and, and you know, he takes her in his arms and he kisses her in front of everyone. Uh, you know, and everyone's clapping they're happy. They finally have their king back and, you know... Um, everyone's kneeling for him and bowing to him, and and he gets to to the hobbits, to all four of the hobbits, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, and they bow to him. I'm tearing up just hearing you talk and about it, it. This part I'm makes sorry, me cry every that. time. I, every time I watch <laughs> it, I cry. I mean, I've seen the movie probably 25 times, and I've cried every time. You know, and he they're bowing to him, and he goes, "My friends, you bow to no one." And then he bows to them. He kneels before them. The king of Gondor, the king of men, kneels to these four hobbits from the Shire. And everyone kneels to them. And they're just the look on their faces, you know, when they look around and, and they see the respect that they've gotten. These, these you know, childlike creatures that who, who are not warriors at heart. But, you know, they've come all this way and, and they've done this. And, and here they have the ultimate respect for what they've done. Um, and I, I always thought that was so beautiful. Humility, man. Humility and gratitude. It's it's overtaking. 
like true humility. Like it just it shows the the kind of person and the integrity he was inside and out. A man of his word, you know, a man without ego. I mean, there used to be a sign: show me a show me a man without ego, and I will show you wisdom. Show me a man with ego, and I will show you a fool. And um, he was he was without ego. He could have easily have been you know have been into himself with what he accomplished with everything and he he wasn't he never thought he was and i wonder if that was being in love with you know with an elf and just never feeling like he was more than that made him just treat others maybe the way he wanted to be treated um he just had a sense of treating everyone as equal it was just yeah always i mean he had, he had friends of all types right you know an elf a dwarf hobbits the wizard you know he he always uh he always surrounded himself with with you know anybody he never you know he never had a preference he never chose one over the other he was you know he he just treated everyone equally like he said um and i i do think you told the story better than even the movie because <laughs> the way you talked about it i felt like i was re-watching <laughs> well, it yeah. and feeling things um, that i wasn't seeing in a movie i'm literally wiping tears away <laughs> right now as we talk he, he really is this is not just for show he is emotional right now but yeah just the visual from that scene is is so powerful because once again like if you go back to the beginning they're simple people they're not meant to be warriors they're not meant to be the heroes of any stories or anything and you know they go through most of the the movies being carried by other people you know they're getting carried by the ants they're getting carried across the mountain pass they're you know uh, they're not meant to be the most badass manly men that ever existed and yet it's because of them that middle earth is saved and when everyone kneels these hobbits are now the tallest people there and and it was it was truly beautiful and ty i didn't really think about it until you brought it up so thank you but yeah you're right aragorn does have to reconcile with not continuing the cycle that his family has perpetuated and he gets to decide what kind of king he's going to be and he's going to be the king that shows humility like frankie said and he's going to be the the king that that is able to say thank you and kneel when it's appropriate to others and um you know that's it that's a lot of like what i what i deal with um you know my both my parents have mental illness and addiction on uh you know, both sides of their family. My father, I believe he's got some bipolar stuff in there. Um, you know, he, he is a narcissist. My mom, she's paranoid schizophrenic uh, and, and psychotic. And I'm pretty sure she left this world not even knowing what was happening to her because that's how bad she was mentally by the end of it. And that is a it's a constant fear of mine. It's a constant you know, if I have kids, am I going to be the same kind of parent? Am I going to neglect my kids the, uh, the way that my parents neglected me? Am I going to do my best and it's still going to fall short? Uh, you know, am I going to end up in a place where I don't I don't understand what the doctors are telling me and I'm physically just decaying and mentally decaying and dying in a bed alone? Like, it's it's rough. It follows me around all the time. You know, every time I take a drink, I'm like, oh, am I going to be an alcoholic? Every time I get drunk, am I going to be an alcoholic? You know, every time I get I get high, am I going to, 
you know, I'm like, oh, is this going to lead to worse stuff? You know, both my parents got into fucking crack. You know, my everyone in my middle school knew that my father was fired from the bus driver job in that district because he tested positive for crack in his system. I was the last one to find out. But I mean, you know how people talk. So so everybody knew everybody knows someone. And, um, you know, we all, to an extent, have that struggle within us, right? We talked before about are we going to keep perpetuating these cycles that, that, you know, that our families had from where we came from. And, you know, just like Aragorn, it's up to us to take where we've come from and make our identities our own and stop living in that shadow. And, you know, every character, to an extent, has to worry, are they going to be the same as where they came from? Are they going to end up in a worse situation? But... More than where you come from, you decide where you're going. And that's what these movies teach us. That's what these characters teach us. You know, Gandalf was afraid of becoming corrupted and being like Saruman. Frodo was afraid of becoming corrupted and being like Bilbo or or Gollum. And Aragorn was afraid of being corrupted just like his family had been and letting everybody down. You know, it's up to us. And, you know, to decide... Not only who we want to be as people, but for, you know, us three specifically, because we're talking about masculinity, who we want to be as men. You know, am I going to shame my son if I end up having one for for doing certain things? I mean, no, I know that. I like, <laughs> I, I know I'm not going to be a fucking piece of shit but, like that, but, but yeah, you know, but there, there's other things. I mean, as a father, if I can, I mean, can. if I can throw some input, I think those fears that you're having... I think they're natural and I think they're actually a positive thing. I think a lot of the mistakes that our predecessors and the men before us make was that they didn't spend enough time thinking what their actions would do to their children and what, you know, not wanting to change. I think the fact that you don't even have a kid yet and you're so worried about ending a cycle just shows that you're going to be aware of a cycle. You're acknowledging so many men that come before us still don't acknowledge that there's a problem so they can't fix something that they won't even acknowledge the fact that you can even say that there's a cycle to be ended that you can be aware i feel like aragon knew that you know he was aware of it he made a conscious choice to stop it he acknowledged the pain of his family and and wanted to break that cycle but if you're not if you never acknowledge and admit that there's a problem with you if you have narcissistic behavior, if you believe that you are still right, even when you're losing everything around you, you can't fix it. I feel the fact that right now you're worried about this means that you're going to do what I always do. I'm always worried about it. My father, you know, as good as a man, like I said, as good as a man he as he might be right now to those around him. Let me preface it by always saying that. I have not had a close relationship with him in 20 years, so I don't want to speak to the integrity of the man he is now. I'll speak to the man that he was as I knew him. You know, you make you, you, you make that choice of, you know, who you want to be. And I really, really, truly believe the fact that you care enough to know that there's a cycle means that you're probably more prone to break it. I mean, I every time I hear my father's anger in my voice from what I saw growing up, I catch myself. And it doesn't mean that I won't make the mistake tomorrow and the day after. And, you know, when me and my daughter fight, we argue and I hear it, but I catch myself. I go back into my room. I think about how to approach it differently. And then I go back into the room 
and I apologize and I acknowledge the problem and I go about fixing it. It doesn't mean perfection, it just means progress and it means when you notice a behavior that's toxic that you learned, if you acknowledge it at that moment, you're going to fix it. And I think that's already a huge step for you. Yeah, well put. No, that's a, yeah, that's a real it's a really good point to bring up is that you know, our traumas were perpetuated by people who didn't question their actions. At no point did they think that they were doing the wrong thing and you know, I know in my case specifically didn't apologize. And you know, we see that that same problem is not only plaguing us but plaguing the country as a whole, right? We have a president who fucks up left and right and refuses to admit he's wrong and just doubles down on the terrible things that he's doing. Uh you know, it's no news to anybody listening to this podcast. We're not fucking fans of Trump. And you know, <laughs> Wait, we're not. And uh, uh Oh, I forgot you. I forgot you. Were. My bad. Right. <laughs> Hold on. You you you're telling me America's not great again what? Hold, on, hold on what <laughs> no i'm saying it never was but the point <laughs> is um that you know yeah when, when presented with with heroes like this as as we should be that the word sorry means so much and more so those actions that follow it mean mean even more what's more vulnerable than saying I'm sorry without a but. You're literally tearing yourself down to, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, and that's it. I mean, it might be the most vulnerable position and word in the human race to say is, I'm sorry, and have nothing else to say after it. So, I mean, I feel like in our lives, I'm so not used to hearing I'm sorry without some form of explanation that just <laughs> yeah. sorry followed by nothing is rare. <laughs> yeah. You know? Even, um, in Spanish, when we apologize, we say what? Lo siento, right? Like, yep. lo siento, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't that like to feel? Like It's like I, I feel you. I like, feel you. I understand you. Yeah. I feel you. Like that's that's empathy in its rawest form. Yeah. Like, I, like I'm wearing your shoes. I know that. I know your, your place right now. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's a real word, man. And, and speaking of another yeah. character in the movie that, you know, didn't really do this, uh, you know, we, we mentioned Denethor and Faramir's relationship, you know, and, and, and Return of the King, you really you really see the full extent of it. You know, briefly in the Two Towers, um, you know, they show Boromir taking back the, the city of Osgiliath that had been lost to the orcs, you know, and they're having this great victory and Boromir and Faramir are embracing each other and they're they're sharing their drinks and, and people are cheering and the father comes and, uh, you know, he's so proud of Boromir and Boromir's like, oh, well, Faramir helped me take the city back. And he says... Well, he's the one that lost it, you know. He he's the one that failed in the first place. And Faramir's, well, I didn't have enough men. He goes, oh, you didn't have enough men, you know. And then in Return of the King, now Boromir's gone, and uh, Denethor actually says to to Pippin uh, in front of Pippin to Faramir, he says to him, you know, I wish it had been you that had been killed, you know. He literally says he wished that he had died instead of Boromir, um, and he, you know, Faramir unfortunately loses Osgiliath again to the orcs. And, you know, he says to his father, like, what can I do? And he's like, take the, take it back. So Faramir, knowing he's going to his death, he does it anyway because he just wants his father's approval so badly. He will do anything to get it. Uh, and, he, he, you know, he leads his men to Osgiliath where they're ambushed and wiped out. And he returns mortally wounded on, on the brink of death. Um, and and it's, it's kind of like a, at this moment, 
you know, where Denethor has shown no love for him, that he finally realized he loves his son. You know, it's it's in these these moments where he's like, oh, my son Faramir, my son, you know. He's like, he's dead, he's dead, I'm going to burn myself with him. He decides he's going to kill himself because he can't live with the guilt of what he did to his son. And he and he tries to burn him, even though Faramir is still alive. He Yeah, I was going to say. He's still alive. Even in the end, he's still a fucking Yeah, he, and he tries to burn <laughs> him alive because he, he's overwhelmed by his own guilt. You know, and and uh, luckily Pippin and, and Gandalf are able to save Faramir, and and Denethor he burns to death and dies. But it, it you know, it, it was just such a powerful relationship, and it, you know it, it's just so brutal seeing it. And I can relate to that because you know I thought I've had that I haven't shared with a lot of people is you know the fact that I'm straight. My brother's gay. Is that I mean my my father loves him more? Is he disappointed in me that I'm straight? Um, you know my my dad calls my brother every week. He calls me once every other month, you know, and I think a lot of that is probably because I'm older. I remember a lot more, you know, we, we just never had a strong relationship. Um, but, you know, in the back of my mind, sometimes I do wonder that I'm like, is he not proud of me? Is he not happy that I'm a son? You know, you know, is, is he is he feel more kinship with my brother? So that's why he speaks to him more often, you know, so I get that. I understand that feeling that, you know, Faramir had. Um, trying to live up to those expectations. You know, I was the older brother, uh, but it's still kind of the same feeling. So, like, that always kind of stuck out to me. And, and you know, um, Faramir's a good man, though. You know, he's not what his father wants him to be, but he proves his worth time and time again. He's a sensitive man, a caring man. Um, in the end, Eowyn actually falls in love with him. You know, and, and like... Oh, that's right. I forgot And he's that. just... Because he's caring for her. When she's injured fighting the Witch King, um, they don't really do it as much in the film, but a lot in the book. You know, he helps nurse her back to health. He doesn't even know who she is. You know, but he's just a very caring soul who just, you know, wants to live in peace and not war. And, and you know, I think you see that. And, and, you know, his father, Denethor, did not want to give the throne to Aragorn. You know, he mentions, you know, there's this this ranger from the north who, who claims the throne. He's like, this is our family. You know, we're the stewards of Gondor. We'll not give it up. You know, but, but Faramir has no problem with it. When Aragorn comes, he's right there on the side wishing him well, you know, welcoming him to the city. Um, and I think that shows, you know, what, what a man he is, too. And that, you know, maybe he didn't live up to the expectations of his father and maybe what others thought that, you know, a captain of Gondor should be. But, you know, he was who he was. And, and in the end, he was happy with that. I feel like Mike, it goes back to something Mike said earlier. I remember in the podcast when he was talking about um, his father and he was talking about, like, wanting that approval until he questioned himself with, do I even respect them? Like you try so hard, yeah. Like you, you, you're willing to kill yourself to receive this approval, and then you got to sit back and ask yourself, do I even respect this person enough to need the approval? I mean, yeah, it's a real question. Absolutely. Yeah. Huh? And uh, I don't want to like that's something new. I I didn't actually know about you. I don't think. Um. So thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah, it's something that I, I've come to terms with more recently. So. Yeah, I don't want to take away from it, but I just had this image in my head because normally it's, you know, if it's a gay guy, like, and he brings home a guy, he's worried about, you know, like what his parents might think of him or whatever. But like, I just like see you be like, oh, this is my girlfriend. And he's like, Ugh. yeah, oh, I've thought of that too. It's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad that wasn't the only And he's one. like, you sure you're into uh, her, right? <laughs> you, you really <laughs> like her? What about your friend, I mean, Mike? If this is your lifestyle. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> 
He's a good guy. No, we. <laughs> oh my god, we confirmed that's not a thing. Um, I, I think the <laughs> the last thing that I want to bring up uh, about about the film because I think the Return of the King is really a really dense film and a really dense book and it has a really some yeah. great great topics and themes in it. Um, and you know, we talked about the the hobbits a lot. We talked about how close they were, their friendships. You know. Uh, no one bows to, you know, everyone bows to them. They bow to no one else, you know. And at the end of all this, you know, uh, Gollum leads Frodo into a trap. He almost kills him. And Sam is the one that rescues him. He keeps coming back and he helps him get to Mount Doom. And, and finally the ring is destroyed. Um, Gollum's the one who destroys it inadvertently. He trips with it. Sorry, can I cut you off for just a yeah. second? I know you were... All right. Um, and it is interesting that Sam, like, he could let pride go and be like, oh, well, Frodo left me, so fuck him. I won't help yeah. him. Yeah. But, like, no, like, you you don't abandon the, you know, the people you love, like, when you believe in them. Toxic people, yes, abandon them, but, you know, Frodo just was misled. Yeah, I mean, Frodo tells him to leave, right? And and Sam starts to, but he comes back. And and thank God he does, you know. There's, there's a part where, where Frodo can't even climb anymore, and, and Sam's like, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. And he carries him up the mountain. You know, that's that's how much of a good friend he is. And, you know, after the ring's destroyed, they're laying there, and the, the mountain's coming apart. They don't know if they're going to live or die. You know, and, and Frodo says to Sam, I'm glad you're here with me, Samwise Gamgee, at the end of all things. You know, and he thinks, like, this is their moment of death, and he's glad to have him by his side. You know, he's... He, you got me fucking crying. He, find, <laughs> he finds hope in that, and, you know, <laughs> Sam's with him. And But, you know, on the other hand, Sam's someone who, who would talk about the Shire and Rosie, and, like, he did have dreams and aspirations, but he gave it all up for his friend. Um, you know, he remembered the taste of food and, and things that Frodo had given up on. And they are luckily, they are rescued and, you know, they're brought back and they're reunited with the remaining members of the fellowship. And they have this, this hilariously cute scene where they're all like jumping around <laughs> in the bed and, and everyone walks in. He's like, I mean, yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's pretty funny. But then, you know, after after Aragorn's yeah. night uh, kinged, they they head home. And when they get home, they have all this like fancy armor and these swords and these horses. And everyone in the Shire is giving them these dirty looks, and they're kind of amused by it, you know. And then they they all go out to drink at the pub where Rosie works, and they just don't feel the same kinship anymore with the other hobbits because they've seen the world. They've seen what it what it can be, and, and you know how how violent and cruel it can be, um, and, and and it's it's a sobering moment that you know when you when you get back from war, you think it's going to be this great, ex- you know. There's so many people who enlist in the army because they want to be you know tough and manly, and they want to they want to serve their country, but it changes you, you know, and sometimes not for not for the best, and and they've come back, and you know they are not the same, um, and and eventually you know Frodo. He does not ever recover from his wounds, and he he needs to go to the the Grey Havens, which is kind of like the afterlife, more or less. Um, and and he's you know he embraces his friends goodbye, and I think he actually kisses Sam on the head. You know he says, "My sweet Sam." Yeah. You know, and and he kind of you know it's just, it's very emotional, and you know at this point Sam's married, he has kids. It's not a romantic relationship, but there is a a bond that cannot be broken, a love that you know transcends words at that point and and you know that's another scene that always gets me it's just so emotional you know gandalf says finally here at the shores you know our fellowship ends and and it, it's just so emotional well it was like um the other day when i saw you uh and i you know officially asked you to be my best man at the at the wedding finally um i sorry i was just uh overcome with a lot of emotion <laughs> i kind of forgot where i was going with it um 
but no, you're right. Uh, like in that moment, like I said, like I really wanted to hug you. Yeah, I know. And I couldn't because you know we're observing social distancing and trying to do the right thing and stuff. Yeah, it's it's amazing to think of like you know how losing that human touch, a human connection, is so painful. You know that we, I don't think we ever would have realized that. You know, just not being able to hug, you know, your friends or your loved ones that you don't live with could be so, so difficult. Yeah, I have, I have one more thing to say. And then, uh, you know, Frankie has something else uh, he wants to add, which is great. Um, you know, this kind of reminds me also, like when the hobbits get back, if we're following the lens of masculinity and growing as a man, right? And growing as a, a new type of man, um, they're looked at weirdly, you know, which I think like, a lot of people look at me weirdly, like my fiance's father, you know, I mean, like, you know, I, I do think like he, you know, he likes me now and respects me and everything. But throughout our our whole relationship, like how it's evolved, it's been like him being the manliest man and me being like, oh, well, what about feelings? You know, like he's the guy who every story he tells, like if somebody didn't like what somebody said, they would just punch each other and get into a fight and blah, blah, blah. I spent my whole life trying to stay out of fights because, you know, like Black Widow said in Age of Ultron, I'm pretty sure I'll win then, you know, like, um, but, you know, it reminds me of, um, going back to, you know, my mom dying and everything, uh, an old friend, he's not going to fucking listen. I'll call it Scott. Um, you know, he came to the service and I hadn't seen him in years and we went out afterwards, you know, a few of us to to get some drinks and eat and stuff. And in talking with him, I was like talking about kind of like I haven't spoken to him in years and a lot has changed in my life. And, you know, I brought up like I think I brought up the drag show or I brought up something about cross dressing and everything else. And he was like, OK, OK, I don't want to hear about it. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I thought he was joking. He's like, nope, I don't want to hear about it. And I realized that he's still the exact same person he used to be. I've grown as a man and as an adult and like in coming back to the Shire, just like the hobbits did, they got those weird looks from people that just didn't understand. And like, that's where, that's where he is. That's where a lot of people are. They just don't understand. They see you as the weird one, but hopefully one day all of our ideas, I think we're all pretty much on the same page, you know, of masculinity. Hopefully that can be the norm. But that goes back to what I, what I tried to explain earlier was we have to be patient with growth. Our growth is not everyone else's growth. And as unfortunate as that is, and when I say patience with growth, sometimes I'm at the point that I want to strangle people into educating <laughs> themselves. So let me not say this as if I am like some wise white Gandalf. I am not. I sometimes literally want to take someone's head off because... They're so ignorant with their beliefs, uh, but I, when I when I'm in my moments of like solitude, uh, yes, yesterday I had an anxiety depression breakdown. I was in bed crying, just trying to understand myself, and I have to tell myself that there is levels to this. And as much as I want others to progress at my speed, they can't. And as much as I want every dude that I meet to be at my wavelength, I know they're not. So I got to not be a hypocrite and not look at my growth as anything, you know, less than. It's just a different standard. So I will have to be alone more times than not because I'd rather associate with 
guys that are at my wavelength and there's a lot that aren't so I don't partake in a lot of the hangouts like I used to because I've outgrown that but sometimes outgrowing ignorance means you have less and less and less people that are with you at the podium you know and you have to be okay with that I mean but it's just being patient with growth and knowing that your growth doesn't mean everyone's at the same speed as you and that's a hard thing to swallow sometimes. You know, it is. Because not everyone is going to listen to this podcast and be like, yeah, they're right. There's still going to be people with their biases. You know, why are they crying? Why is he crying openly in front of him? Why is he... There's People are going to be people. Because not because they're bad people. Because they just haven't caught up yet. They're not there yet. Like Treebeard said, don't be hasty. <laughs> Perfect tribute. Sounded just like him. Frankie, what did you uh what did you want to read something else for us? I'm ready for it. Yeah, I got I got one more piece on the subject of hugs. Um I'm a hugger. Um if you follow my Instagram, it's Frankie Soto Poetry um on IG. It's very easy. I try to make it as easy as possible. So if you Google Frankie Soto Poetry, you will find me. My website is Frankie Soto Poetry. My IG is Frankie Soto Poetry. Um, very easy to find this, but I am a hugger. On my Instagram, I have a lot of poems and pictures of me and my son kissing on the lips. Um, I always kiss my uncle on the cheek. It wasn't like I I did it at such a young age. Just it became at first it was like a sign of respect for your elder. And then it became something that I wanted to do. As if if we hugged and didn't kiss in the cheek, I felt a little emptier. Like I was like, no, 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 no. I don't, you know. Because I knew when I was around 13, 14, when I would bring my friends and, you know, introduce them to my Theo, my thing. And he tried to kiss me in the cheek. I would feel like I had to protect, like, my, my, my cred or this false sense of who I was in front of my friends. And then I started to realize that I wanted to kiss him on the cheek and even in front of my boys until they realized that this is the standard of being my friend. This is what I'm going to be. This is who I am. Um, and now I kiss my son on the cheek. My younger brother is 19 and he kisses me on the cheek and it's become a norm. Um, so this is Honest Hugs. I'm a bear hugger. A crack your spine into alignment, chiropractor type squeeze. Please do not embrace me. Two twigs glancing at my back. A rough wind. Count to seven Mississippi. Lift me in the air figure skating style and let our warmth sink into one another. Let our hearts be in sync with one another. Let us be more than a glancing hello. Let my arms be an invitation saying, this space is reserved for you. Men struggle to love other men without needing to proclaim their infinity for women. A handshake, a pound is a language, a way of saying we are connected, but yo, I'm straight. I never understood why hugs were so emasculating. Maybe that's the problem. We are raised to keep love a secret, succeed so well at keeping our mouths closed. Our arms have no choice but to follow. Thank you. No, no, thank you.
I like that one a lot. Yeah, it's called Honest Hugs. It's, I mean, my sister will tell you, I am, I have all, my brother came at the end. So I had stepsister, sister, sister, my father, who I, like, as we know, I don't speak to, but I have a sister with him. So I always, I'm the oldest, and I always had sisters. And when I was about to graduate high school, my mom popped out a boy. <laughs> so I <laughs> I have always uh, been around sisters, and I've always, you know, my mom likes to say she's a hugger, but she's more like a pat in the back, like, all right, hurry up and get off of me. <laughs> um and me and my sister that come from the same father, you know, she has her own a strange relationship, uh, strange relationship with him, which I don't want to go into because that's her own personal experience. But we have this bond, and when we hug, we hug for like twenty seconds. It's like very bear hug, you know, feels, and that's how I hug people. And when I love people, I hug people. And I have a thing with my guy friends and poets that I'm close to. I'm very comfortable openly saying I love you. And I think that's important because there are guy friends that I've been friends with for 15 years that I can hear their voices drop when I say I love you, especially in public because they're not comfortable. You know, they'll they'll hit me up on a text message to say they love me. But saying it out loud and actually having to hear themselves say it is a, a whole nother level of being comfortable with. Um, so I love to say I love you when I feel it and... I feel close enough to you that I want to hug you. I want to hug you. And a real hug. So I wrote honest hugs because when I hug you, it's going to be authentic. Also, that 20-second hug sounds so, like, therapeutic. Like, <laughs> I've been... It is. I think. I believe. <laughs> listen, don't quote me, but if you are listening to this podcast, go on Google right now and check it out. I do believe that the body releases endorphins if you hug for over 20 seconds that is supposed to make your body feel a euphoric joy. I have heard that. If you hold someone for 20 seconds. I have heard that. And I am following you on Instagram now because... Uh, yes, Ty, thank you. Stuff. There we go. Right. Yeah, we, um, I'm going to put it in the show notes and see if there are medical benefits to hugs. Uh, Frankie, give it to us one more time. Where can people find you and follow you again? All right, yeah, so you can check out Frankie with an I-E, Soto, S-O-T-O, poetry.com um i have videos on my website i have quotes and testimonials from fans i do college tours writing workshops if you do go on my website i am right now nominated for the 2020 multicultural poet of the year you can go you can vote if you have the time um but there's a lot of material talking about a lot of topics other than just masculinity, I have an HIV poem that was nominated to the Atlanta Hip Hop Film Festival. And today is National HIV Testing Day. So please get tested. Um, but I have poems on cancer, on mental illness, on masculinity, on domestic violence, on just a bunch of topics that are relevant. So you can check it out. There's a lot of material. And if you connect to it, show me love. If you connect to it and don't want to show me love, I still appreciate the time. That's awesome. Thank you so much. We're going to put uh, all of his information in the show notes so you can reach him as well. Uh, thanks for being so raw, real, and open. Um, and that goes to everybody on this podcast. I've had a lot of shit that 
Uh, I have only shared with my fiance that I just put out here. Ty, thanks so much for uh, just being so transparent about um, everything. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was nice to, uh, to talk about it. Yeah, Ty, this is my first encounter with you, and I can <laughs> yeah. honestly say I, I enjoyed every minute of it. And you're now going to force me to watch Return of the King tonight because I now need Fuck to yeah. visually <laughs> feel what you were saying. And I only watched the first two uh, recently, even though I've watched the whole trilogy. I only watched the last two, the first two recently, and now I have to watch <laughs> oh, the last one. I'm glad to Just hear because that. you narrated the you narrated scenes that made me feel things that I was like, now I got to go experience the visual. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking with but you But thank too, you man. for being so transparent, Absolutely. Man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Seriously. Um, anything you want to close out with, Ty? No, man. Uh, I, I, uh, I mean, I guess I'll just say, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings trilogy, it's uh, probably the best fantasy films ever made. Return of the King won the Academy Award. Um they were an undertaking that no one thought they could accomplish, and they pulled it off and then some. Um, and I still think it te- it stands the test of time. They're about twenty years old, and they uh, they're fantastic films, and the books are also great. Yeah, like the original lore. If you like Game of Thrones, thank Lord of the Rings. If you like Dungeons and Dragons, thank Lord of the Rings. Like I feel okay. Actually, Beowulf. Uh, was one of the original uh, it was. Uh, epics. Be- Beowulf and actually inspired Tolkien to as well, yes. but I, I would say Tolkien is kind of the the father of of high fantasy. He kind of made it popular and and really brought it to the forefront. Yeah, like if you want to say uh, one one created and one perfected, go with that. You know, he's like the George Romero of high fantasy. You know, yeah, George Romero didn't make zombies, but he sure as hell made them good. Yep. All right. Well, that being said, thank you so much for being on today, Frankie. It's been our pleasure having you. My honor. All right. Uh, Ty, as always, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I had fun. All right. Uh, remember, you can listen to us and rate and review us on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now iHeartRadio Podcasts as well. You can find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. Find us on Instagram at PolitipopPodcast. Uh, email us at politipopcast at gmail.com. Find our show notes and sources at politipoppodcast.wordpress.com. I've been one of your co-hosts, Mike Booch, for the Politipop Podcast. Remember, no matter what you're listening to, what you're watching how you're interacting in the world as a man. Uh, Never stop thinking, never stop learning. Always remember to read between the lines, and when it's safe, give somebody a hug. I believe every lie that I ever told, paid for every heart that I ever stole. I played my cards and I didn't fall. Well, it ain't that hard when you got sold. Somewhere I heard that life is a test I've been through the worst but I still get my best God made my mold different from the rest Then he broke that mold so I know I'm blessed Stand up now and face the sun Won't hide my tail or turn and run It's time to do what must be done Be a king when kingdom comes Well you can tell everybody Yeah you can tell everybody And scene. Thank you.